Wednesday night Bible study here in Yorktown, Texas. We greet you on behalf of Pastors Ruben and Rosie Trevino from Good News Church in Victoria, Texas. My name is Jonathan Sixtos, Associate Minister and Youth Pastor there at the church. And we're glad to welcome you here to Yorktown for our bi-monthly Bible studies. We have the second and fourth Tuesday of every month right here and also on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. thereabouts. And we always want to start off with some announcements. So we do have a couple special services. Of course, we consider every service to be special. And if you were present Sunday, then you were in for a treat. And if not, you can go back on our Facebook, facebook.com slash GNC Victoria, and catch up on whatever you missed. But we saw a powerful move of the Spirit. And that's the kind of thing that we love to see in our church. We allow for the moving of the Spirit. We teach people how to operate in the giftings of the Spirit in submission to the Word of God. And we love to see how uh, people are delivered and, and receive words from the Holy Spirit as well. So we do have uh, another special service coming up. The first Sunday of July, Pastor Rosie's last day's Holy Ghost outpouring. We will have a special speaker this month. Prophet Alfonso Vargas from Hondo, Texas will be with us. And uh, check out our website, gncvictoria.com for more information. We'll have directions and we'll have times for you there. And uh, if you're available that Sunday, we'd love to have you come on down. If you have your home church, be faithful to that church. Uh, we support all the local pastors in our community. And pastors, if you're watching live, we love you and we stand with you as well. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight on our Bible study. And it's something I've adapted this message from something that I was sharing with the youth this past Sunday. So no spoilers if you know where we're going with this. But I've also kind of added to it a little bit of a remix for this message. And if I had to give this message a title, we would call it Friend or Foe is what we'll be talking about today, friend or foe. Now, before we get into this topic, it begins with something that God's really placed upon my heart, and I feel like it's a, a timely word for the body of Christ. And I was having a discussion with a fellow minister of mine, and we were just talking about the church and, and how we operate in this world. You know, the Bible says we're in this world, but not of this world. And if you watch the news or you see anything in the papers or television, you know that many things are going on and people are interacting with the church and the church is interacting with culture. And the way that we interact with people, sometimes there are opportunities for us to uh, be human, maybe even make a mistake. And the conversation we had was really just completely interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And I was talking to this person and we were referencing some uh, decisions that were made and it just dropped in my spirit, and I spoke it out without really thinking about it. And I said, well, yes, but they're not Amalekites. They're Samaritans. And when it escaped my lips, I stopped, and I said, okay, that's not something for me. That's something from the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time meditating on that. What does God have for me? And the more I dug into it, the more that I looked into it and dug in the Word of God, the more it started to come alive to me and show me, wow. We are blessed with responsibility. You know, one of my favorite superheroes is Spider-Man, and we all know that famous saying. I hope uh, we don't get flagged for copyright infringement, but he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, in the Bible, uh, Jesus says in one of his parables, to whom much is given, much is required. So I think that's originally the copyright, where they get the idea from. But I wanted to really share with you what the Holy Spirit had been depositing in my heart about friend or foe. So we're going to take a little bit of a trip back in time, and I want to share with you, if you don't know, about who the Amalekites are. So I did a little research, and I found some excerpts online, and we start off with the Amalekites being a nomadic tribe, 
and their roots, their history, they, are, uh, they never stay in one place. And if you look back in their history, they're traced all the way back to Esau. And the Bible says that uh, between Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the one who ended up with the blessing because Esau sold, sold his birthright. And the Bible says that the sons of Esau would end up being wild men. So the Babylonians and the ancient Sumerians, all these cultures, they had a name for the Amalekites. And the Israelites, God's chosen people, also had a name for the Amalekites. And these were some bad dudes. Everywhere they went, they were pillaging and plundering wild men. In fact, one of the first mentions of them is in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 18 and 19. And just this little description of what they did to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 25, 17, 18, and 19 says this. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind, typically women and children. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land that he's giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So this nomadic peoples who dwelled mostly around the Negev uh, desert region, they were notorious for being violent. It was a culture of death. One might even compare them logically to modern uh, extremists that we see going around and destroying families and wreaking havoc on innocent civilians. Not war, country versus country, but just fear and terror. And that was the culture of the Amalekites. So eventually, the Amalekites' hatred of the Jews and their repeated attempts to destroy God's people led to their ultimate doom. Their fate should be a warning to all who would attempt to thwart God's plan or who would curse what God has blessed. See, God had blessed the Israelites and he promised Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, he took him outside and said, look at the stars, that's gonna be the number of your inheritance, even greater. Look at the grains of sand, that's gonna be the number of your inheritance, even greater. And God says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And the Amalekites were born to be violent. And we see historically, when I went and dug all this up, that their fight against the Israelites spanned almost 300 years. It's a long time. And so finally, the Lord gave the order to King Saul, now is the time to destroy the Amalekites. Now, when God gave this order, he was very specific about what he was supposed to do. And he said, pass judgment on everyone. Now, I want you to remember this because it's going to come up a little bit later. God told the king. Now, the way that ancient Israel operated back then before Jesus had come in the age of grace is that prophets and kings spoke directly to God. And they took that message. They were responsible to give that message to the people. And they had to give it exactly how they were told. Recently, we were learning about allegory in my class. And I shared the story of how King David took someone's wife. And he thought nobody knew about it. And the prophet comes in and tells him an allegory, a story that teaches a lesson about sheep. And he says, look what happened with this sheep. And look what this guy did with somebody else's sheep. And he took it from him. And that was the only one he had. And David got mad because he understood the message of the story. And the prophet told David, you're that man. See, the prophet Nathan received that word from God, and he was supposed to give it to David exactly how he was told. He was responsible for that. 
Remember we talked about with great power comes great responsibility. So prophets and kings heard from God, and they had to. They were responsible to give that message out. Now at work, I'm a department head, so we have routine meetings with our principal, and we're given information, and it's our responsibility to distribute that information, whether it comes to grades or it comes to uh, policies, procedures. And it's my job to tell them exactly what I was told. So I write it down, and I type it up in an email, and we have documentation and everything. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul does not follow instructions. See, the Lord said, this is the time, and I've equipped you, and I've prepared you, and now we have to get rid of these people because where they were going to go, the Israelites, we had to remove this threat. It's similar to uh, an illness or a sickness that's in the body and it doesn't belong there. Well, a surgeon may say, well, we need to remove this because if we don't, it will hurt you. And when we look at the Amalekites, their culture, they were only conditioned to hurt. They were a culture of death. They were threatening. They were violent. Everything that they interacted with, they destroyed. And so God told the responsible party, the king, through the prophet, you have to get rid of them or they will destroy you. Now, here's where it all went wrong. King Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, decides he is going to make a different judgment. Now, we've read in the news about uh, policies and procedures and executive orders and court battles, whether it comes to Apple and Samsung and cell phone patents, whether it comes to immigration policies, whether it comes to foreign policy, there's often times when people disagree on how they interpret the law. And that's how it works in democracy, right? We vote for people, they represent us, and all of these things. But in ancient times, God said this. They told everyone what God said, and we did it. So when Saul, who was responsible to tell the whole nation what God had said, disobeys, what happens is now by proxy, the entire nation of Israel is uncovered. They've lost that cover. They've lost that shelter. You know, the Bible says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, when we are following the law, we have nothing to fear from the law. I know I'm not the only one who looks in the rearview mirror every time I drive past a policeman, right? My first, the first thing I do, my eyes go to the speedometer. Am I right? And then I go up to the little rearview mirror. Okay, 10 and 2. Okay, I'm on the speed limit. I'm buckled. I'm checking my mirrors, right? We want to make sure that we have nothing to fear from the law. And if you're following the law, you have nothing to fear from the law. But when Saul decided on his own, I'm going to do this. Let me tell you what was revealed to me when I read this. He was operating in a spirit of rebellion. And so you may think, well, he did most of it. He did most of what God said. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm going to sweep the house. And you sweep maybe four out of five rooms. And you say, I've swept the house. <laughs> or you say, I'm going to do laundry. And you do a couple loads and you just leave the, the colored or the delicates or whatever. And you say, well, I've done laundry. Or you say, well, I'm going to eat a meal, and you eat most of your food. But when God tells you to do something, you have to do exactly what he said to do. If you follow a recipe, you have to follow the recipe exactly, or you're not going to get what you expect to get. 
So Saul, his one job, you know how people, they get upset and they say, you had one job. <laughs> well, Saul's one job was to follow the instructions of the Lord. And he didn't. And it bothered God. And I dug a little deeper and I wondered, well, God, why? I mean, he did most of it, but where did he get those instructions? See, we're always following someone's instructions. We're either following our own corrupt instructions or we're following God's instructions or we're following the enemy's instructions. And what was revealed to me as I read this is that Saul decided, I am now going to make a judgment. Now, Saul had only interacted with the Amalekites in his lifetime. And maybe in his lifetime he thought, well, you know, we've had a couple skirmishes here and there, but they're not all bad. I don't know what his thought process was, but I know if we go to the root of it, it might sound a little bit like this. I will exalt my throne above the Most High. And it seems vaguely familiar, probably because we see that thought process when we're introduced to the fall of Satan. Lucifer being a praise and worship leader, an archangel, glorious and splendor, just full of splendor, decides, I will exalt my throne above the Most High. And so once he's fallen and he tries to tempt man, we see in Genesis, I mean in the very beginning, he begins to mess with Adam and Eve, and he asks Eve, has God said? The same temptation with King Saul. God said this, has God said? Do we have to do it entirely? And King Saul, well, he tries to weasel his way out, right? I, I know that any children in here can agree with me. Once you're caught, your mind, man, it's going 100 miles an hour. Well, maybe I can say this or maybe I can say that. It's like a little chess game. Well, mom's going to say this, so I'll say that and I'll say this and that. So Saul says, well, I, I kept the best to give an offering to God. And the prophet tells Saul to obey is better than to sacrifice. And this is going to come up later on as we talk about Amalekites, Samaritans, the church, the body of Christ. King Saul decided, I will make a judgment call. Not God. God's already spoken what he wants and he's already instructed us in his word. Now his word was through the prophet, but his word to us is in the Bible. And Saul says, move over God. I've got this. That is the height of pride. The Bible says pride comes before a fall. And in that chapter, the prophet declared, and he was sad about this. Samuel liked Saul. They were homies. <laughs> and he said, Saul, you made God sorry that he made you king. Because Saul had a responsibility. He was leading an entire nation. All of you fathers here, in the audience and all of you fathers watching on Facebook, take this to heart because you have a responsibility. We'll be celebrating this Sunday your responsibility. See, I teach in public high school and I deal with children who don't have people in the home taking on that responsibility. Too many people who don't accept that responsibility. So Saul had this responsibility and he abused it. He misused it. He had this great power, but he wasn't responsible with it. He decided me, in my knowledge and what I know, know better than God. And that's what I'm going to do. 
And in the end, if you research it, Saul dies at the hand of a foreigner who should have been taken care of a long time ago. See, just like the surgeons and just like the dietitians and nutritionists and just like what God said, hey, if you don't take care of this now, it's going to hurt you later. Bad habits. The people we hang around with. A powerful word this Sunday about guarding your heart when you break bread with people and allow them to sow into your heart. We were studying this week that film called uh, Inception, and it's about your perception of reality and dreaming and what happens when someone plants a thought in your mind, because we're getting ready to get into Animal Farm and persuasive techniques and different things. I hope I'm not boring the home audience. (laughs) But the mind is... It's like those, those cultures. If you've ever seen in the lab, whenever they swab and they rub it on there and say, well, we're going to know in 24 hours whether or not you have the flu or something like that. Because the mind, it's fertile. It's like a greenhouse. Whatever you plant in there, whatever you meditate on, it's going to grow. It's going to blossom. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we don't want to get out of bed. And we imagine all the things we need to do. Oh, I need a shower. I need to brush my teeth. I need to get ready. <gasps> what time is it? And we've allowed our minds to wander when our body should have gotten up and gotten ready. King Saul allowed in his mind long before he made this decision that he knew better than God. See, this isn't something that you wake up and you're like, uh, hmm, what flavor of ice cream do I want? Uh, you know what? I can do this because, well, because I know more than God. <laughs> no. This is an outward expression of an inward impression. That's what obedience is. And when King Saul was disobedient, then that's his outward expression of his inward impression. When he, in front of the entire country, says, I know better than God, he had already decided in his heart that he knew better than God. And here's the dangerous part. The Amalekites were meant for destruction. I want you to remember that, that the Amalekites were meant for destruction. Not created to be destroyed, okay? God doesn't make anything bad, but they were meant for destruction. God knew, because he knows everything, they were too far gone. There's no hope for those people. They're beyond help. They were even worse than Nineveh. You know, the prophet Jonah, God sent him to Nineveh because God knew they're not beyond hope. Amalekites beyond hope and God said we have to remove them or they will remove us now here's the dangerous part Samaritans will fast forward oh a few hundred years maybe a thousand years or so and these are who the Samaritans were as the Jews as we know their kings didn't follow orders and they ended up scattered and finally they came together as a nation of Israel and uh, under the rule of Rome That's the time period that we're talking about. Foreigners intermarried with the Israelite population still in and around Samaria. These Samaritans at first worshipped the idols of their own nations, and then they embraced a religion that was a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. Now this is referenced throughout 2 Kings. Anywhere that the Israelites would move, they were supposed to influence that culture, but they allowed that culture to influence them. Now, because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with the foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religion, they were generally considered half-breeds and were universally despised by the Jews. 
So mostly because of religion, but also a little bit of racism in there as well. You're not one of us. You are the worst of us. You're those idolatrous people, and you're influenced by the world, and we hate you. That's who the Samaritans were. Now, from these causes, there arose an irreconcilable difference between them, so the Jews regarded Samaritans as the worst of the human race, which is why it was so radical whenever we hear the parable of the good Samaritan. To them, that seemed like an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Samaritans are the worst. They had no dealings with them. You see this in John chapter 8 and verse 48 and John chapter 4 and verse 9. We're actually going to read a little bit from John chapter 4. Now, in spite of the hatred between these two peoples, Jesus broke down the barriers, preaching the gospel of peace to Samaritans. And eventually, the apostles later followed his example. See, when Jesus showed up, the Jews were excited. But they wanted to keep that excitement to themselves. We're the chosen people. We are the ones that Jesus came to save. And Jesus said, no, for God so loved the world. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that God even loved the Amalekites. Even when they were beyond help. He still loved them. But it also tells me that the Jews are the ones who pass judgment on the Samaritans. Not God. So if you'll open your Bible to John chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 7. And I'll be reading tonight from the English Standard Version. John chapter 4, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus is a Jew, ethnically, religiously. The Bible says he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And he, of all people, could have said to these people, no, it's not for you. You don't qualify. Jesus could have said, we need to get rid of you. I don't like that you've intermarried with us. I don't like that we've intermingled with you. You're doing the culture wrong, and we hate you. That's how the Jews thought. They thought, well, I have to be this holy, and, and I have to wash my hands a certain way, and, and I can't even, if something falls in a ditch on a, on a Saturday, I can't pick it up because that's work, and I have to follow the letter of the law, and I have to be the most holy. And no one's going to know I'm the most holy unless I shun the people who are not holy. But that's not what Jesus did. See, Jesus ran into people who were sinners, and he never approved of their sin, but he never sentenced them to death. Because that's what Jesus was. See, in the Old Testament, God moved on behalf of the Israelites, and he was their sword, and he was their shield, and he was their defender. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus walking amongst the people, and he's our redeemer. In fact, the New Testament says we are free from the curse of the law. And this was a radical notion to the Jews of the time, because they, for 
years, hundreds of years, since the time of the judges and the kings and the prophets, and all they had was the law. That's ours. Don't mess that up, Samaritans. You're doing it wrong, and we hate you. And when Jesus shows up, he shatters these expectations. And he says, I'm going to ask for water from the Samaritans. This is a good Samaritan. Love your neighbor. Well, Jesus, I hate my neighbor. They're perverting my religion. They're, they're intermingling, and, and we're not as holy if we hang out with Samaritans. But notice that Jesus could interact with a Samaritan without compromising his witness. He knew the word of God. He rightly divided the word of truth. And when people tried to trap him in the social circles of the day because they didn't have social media, <laughs> all he came back with was the word. Jesus never had to win an argument. He never had to get the most likes on his comment. He never had to retweet some other rabbi because he knew the word for himself. And when people tried to trap him, well, what do you say, Jesus? Oh, are you just going to approve of this woman in adultery because you're so loving? He says, I have the power to forgive sin. Go, and this is very important, Facebook audience, and sin no more. Jesus loves people who need his redemption. And he accepts us as we are. But he offers us living water. Jesus didn't say, what you're doing, woman, at the well with your five men that you've been through and a guy who's still not your husband. I'm just going to look the other way. No, he said, I have living water because what you're doing right now, it's not working for you. And he got that message across without yelling, without hating her, without ridiculing and condescending and telling her how holy he was. He didn't say, I'm holy. He says, I have living water. See, it wasn't so much about how holy and how awesome Christ was because what she needed at that moment was water. And many times when we interact with the world and with the culture as believers, I'm speaking to believers here tonight. Many times we want to immediately talk about how holy we are and how many temptations we've overcome and how poor those people are. And there but for the grace of God go I. And it makes me feel really good whenever I look at how bad they are because then I don't feel so bad. But what she needed at that moment was living water. And that's what Christ offered her. He offered her his outstretched hand, not the back of it. And this is where the Holy Spirit convicted me. Because Christ saw someone that we should have hated. And he offered redemption. And we as believers must overcome this temptation. The temptation of Saul. When we are tempted to say, well God I know that you through Jesus said go into all the world and preach the good news. There's living water. He's the light of the world. He's the vine. We're the branches. His words are spirit in their life. God doesn't desire for anyone to perish. But when we run into opposition, all of a sudden we start digging back into Scripture and say, you know what? You're an Amalekite. 
And that's dangerous. Just because someone disagrees with us, we are not in the position unless it is from the mouth of God, thus saith the Lord, a warning from the Holy Spirit. We can't just say, those people. And in the body of Christ today, specifically as a minister of the gospel, things that I see, things that I meditate, things that I pray about, I would venture to say, the American church and the issues that we're facing and the the social issues that we need to address in our congregation and the tools that we need to give our parents because our children are growing up in a dangerous world. And if we cast our judgment, we can no longer minister to those people. See, Christ wins the woman at the well through his offering. The Bible says that his kindness leads us to repentance. Now, that's an extra word for you parents out there. His kindness leads us to repentance. Not his permissiveness. Not him looking the other way. Not him saying, well, you know, back then that was bad, but now, you know, the times they are a changing. <laughs> no, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that said, you cannot be trusted with eternal life, Adam and Eve. I need you to leave the garden. He's the same one who said, but you know what? I am sending the seed of a woman to bruise the head of a serpent. We as the body of Christ need to know in our hearts where the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. Because Jesus said, I only do the Father's will. If it was the Father's will that that woman was beyond saving, like the people who looked at Jesus and said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. For sure, those people are Amalekites, am I right? Oh, wait. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And many times we have this kind of knee-jerk reaction, right? Well, before you hurt me, I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to let you in. I'm going to cut you off, right? Well, this person said this, crazy uncle so-and-so. Right? We've all got a crazy uncle so-and-so. Right? Well, I'm just, I'm just not going to talk to them. I'm not going to be around them. I'm not gonna go, we're not going to invite them for Thanksgiving and all this. Because they're Amalekites. They're too far gone. But you know what that is? In our hearts, that's us saying, no, God, no, no. I, I know better than you when it comes to crazy uncle so-and-so. No, no, no. You, you don't know him, God, like I know him. I mean, I know you created him, and you have a plan for his life. <laughs> you don't know. You weren't at Christmas 1985. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Tamales weren't the only thing flying. <laughs> and it's dangerous because you know what? Many times in the church, we applaud that. Oh, look at them. They got in that Facebook argument because they're standing up to the gospel or this one, right, in the 20th century. Oh, look at all these negative comments on, on their post. They're being persecuted. You know who's being persecuted? The people in China who show up on Sundays and the doors are boarded shut because the government says you can't go to church here anymore. You know who's being persecuted? The people in the Middle East who will never speak to their families again because when they said, I found living water, 
Their family says, you're dead to me. That's persecution. The apostles, except for John, all died unnatural deaths at the hands of someone else. And John only died because he didn't die when they boiled him in oil. <laughs> and he was exiled to the island of Patmos until he died. But we think, well, this person has that coexist bumper sticker. So I'm not going to talk to them because they're an Amalekite. Or, well, this person told me that they're attracted to these kinds of people and, and that's weird and unnatural, so I'm going to let them know that they're going to hell. Wait a minute. We don't have to approve of what they're doing. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And people love to misquote the Bible. Well, Jesus said you can't judge. No, we judge. We judge all the time. We judge how fast we're going when we're driving. We judge whether or not we can make it into a lane. We make judgments all the time. We judge if we've left the pizza in the oven too long. <laughs> we're good at making judgments. But sentencing, that's different. You know the only person who can sentence is a judge of authority. See, when we go and we watch like these crime TV dramas or these court shows and we say, oh, I know this person's going, oh, yeah, oh, they're going to get it now. It's always up to the judge. And there's only one righteous judge. Jesus himself, they say, oh, good teacher. He goes, why do you call me good? You know, there's only one good. Now, he's not saying that he's not good. He's saying, hey, finish that sentence. What are you trying to say? And Peter finally figured it out. Wow, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You have the living water. In John 6, 66, when many departed and did not follow him after that, he turns to the disciples and says, what about you guys? And they said, where are we going to go? Where else are we going to get the words of life? So I want to encourage you. I know this is kind of a strong word, and it hit me, guys, when I said that. Oh, they're not Amalekites. They're Samaritans. And I was just like, oh, ooh. <laughs> a gut punch. If you guys have ever watched like those UFC fighters, and they're just like, oh, I'm feeling woozy. When we approach our mission field, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to be prayed of. We need to be in the Word. Because there are so many snakes out there. Has God said? Well, God is love. And love wins. Happy June, everybody. Well, God is love. And love does win. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that whom He loves, He corrects. Because there are some things in life that if you don't get rid of those, it's going to destroy you. I was just reading a magazine this afternoon and I was flipping through looking at different outdoor type things and there was a little tobacco ad and it said blah 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 tobacco and in the bottom half of the page this product may cause cancer oh that's kind of dissuading right you read that like oh actually I don't know if I but people still go out and do that they still go pack it smoke it snuff it or whatever tobacco products are out there they still drink. People addicted to drugs still do the drugs. And they know it's going to destroy them. But they don't have living water. See, the Samaritan woman, she was going through men, through men, through men, through men, through men. And she thought maybe, oh, maybe that'll fill me. Maybe the next guy will be the right guy. Maybe, maybe this one won't break my heart. And I need to be with somebody. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. A man is not going to fix what you need. 
And if someone is wrestling with their faith and they think, well, this is going to fix what I need or that's going to fix what I need. Well, I need this, so I need for me to find a pastor who will approve that because I need it. I need, well, that's, that's my personality and, and, you know, the Bible this and that and, you know, the message version and, and all this stuff. We need living water. And living water is the truth. But we don't have to scream the truth at our mission field. Many times we're tempted to treat our mission field like a war zone. And you can't save someone you're shooting at. It's not how it works. You know, Jesus didn't say in the book of Luke, oh yes, the, uh, the battlefield is many, but the workers are few. No, he said the harvest is ready. Pray to the Lord for more people to go and work the harvest. Not be jerks to the harvest. <laughs> so when we approach someone who disagrees with us, we cannot assume God's throne and say, you are going to hell. Now, we can understand these choices will not lead you to heaven. But we don't follow that person home. We don't know what they cry out at night. We don't know if they get saved. But we do know that the Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So as we interact with people from day to day, this is my encouragement to you, the body of Christ, you, the Facebook audience, you, ministers around the world and people who are going to grow and lead families of your own one day, know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because Saul, at that point, had the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the wisdom of God coming through the prophet below his own thoughts. And we need to yield ourselves. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. And this is why. Because if God has called us to stay away from someone because he knows they're dangerous, and we think, well, I'm going to love everybody and I'm going to win everybody, that can also backfire. If God says no and you say go, then there's only hurt and heartbreak waiting. Because if Jesus is the living water and you go somewhere there's not living water, you can't bear good fruit. My mother has a garden over the summer. And we're excited about all these fruits and vegetables that are coming out of the ground, but they need good water. If we give them bad water, it's not going to be good fruit. So as we go out into the world, because we can't just stay in our church. We can't just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to be here on, on Sundays and Wednesdays, and, and I'm only going to watch TBN, and I'm going to block all the other channels, and I'm only going to listen to Christian music and, and the radio and all these things. And that is good to build yourself. But we build ourselves, we refuel ourselves, we replenish ourselves to go ye into all the world. If I never drive to work, I don't need to put any gas. We gas up to go. And I'm glad I got a pretty good car on gas because I used to drive a truck and I needed more gas to go. But we as the body of Christ need to know the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to be strong and courageous and defend our faith not attack someone's soul. Now, when Jesus ran into the woman at the well, he said, look, you're sleeping around. It's not right. I can give you what you need. And what she needed was not a physical relationship. And if someone says, well, 
I feel like I'm this orientation and I need this kind of physical relationship. Let me share with you some wisdom from someone who God redeemed from the lifestyle of homosexuality. And he says this. He was being interviewed by uh, Dr. James Dobson on the radio. And I'll never forget what he said because there's so much wisdom in it. He said, I used to think that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But now he understands that the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. See, you're never going to change someone's mind by giving them some other man-made doctrine. The only way that you can save someone from their sin is by introducing a savior. And we are not their savior. But we shouldn't repel them. If someone is seeking and God gives you a word to give to that person, we need to be available to give them that word. Instead of, well, I don't talk to those people. Well, why not? Well, because they say they're Christians, but they're doing it wrong, and I hate them. They're Samaritans. Now, this is what I told you to hang on to from earlier. The Amalekites were meant for destruction, but Samaritans were meant to be saved. Jesus didn't send a king and an army to the woman at the well. He sent the Savior with living water. And that's what he's called us to go and do. I know we like to sing, we're in the army of the Lord, right? I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. But we can't be militant all the time and still be meat for the master's use. The Bible's called us to be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. Now, if someone challenges your faith, then tell them why you believe. The Bible says to be ready in season and out of season, prepared to give an answer for what you believe. But when it's time to minister to those people, recognize how sacred that is, that we, God has called us, people who used to even be like the Amalekites, to be foreigners to the covenant. He's called us. The Bible says how great this is that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. But the parable that Jesus says, when there's a lamp, you don't put it under a bushel. You go out into the world. How are we supposed to illuminate the darkness if we keep the light to ourselves? If we never interact with the culture? What, are we going to form our own country with our own laws and our own schools? We're going to keep our children away from all these other children? You protect your children, yes. But you train them. You strengthen them. You build them. And when someone in the world is hurting and when they're lost... They're going to be there with so much more than just happy encouragement. Oh, well, the only scripture I've ever known my whole life is Jeremiah 29, 11, So God's got a good plan for you. I don't know what it is because I don't read the rest of the Bible. No, we need the full counsel of God. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. And it always came back to Christ crucified. It always came back to his testimony. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, we overcome them. And by them, it's the principalities, the rulers of the. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We overcome them, the serpent, the dragon, in the context of Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's what Jesus did and what he's done for us. See, my testimony is different than yours. Your testimony is different than yours. Our testimony is different than yours. But we serve the same Jesus. 
And I want to encourage the body of Christ to edify each other. If you see members who say, I'm part of the body of Christ, but they're not doing the scriptures, then we should edify them as brothers and sisters, not treat them as Samaritans and say, well, you're doing it wrong and I hate you. <laughs> see, this word, this great power that we have makes us responsible. Because when God invests this salvation in us, just like the parable of the people with the talents, we can't just go bury it. And then at the end, God says, hey, I, I called you to go be an evangelist, to go be a witness, to go be a missionary. What'd you do with what I gave you? Well, God, uh, I knew that it was real bad out there because I've been watching the news. So, you know, I built a bunker and I hid. <laughs> I stored water up, you know, store up, you know, treasures in heaven and, and water in my bunker. <laughs> And I didn't talk to anybody and I didn't deal with anybody and, and I, I didn't get snatched from the clutches of salvation by this cold hard world that is not how we are to approach our salvation when we are given so precious a gift we must go and share and the days are evil and the time is short and we are responsible you know, we watch these superhero movies and the whole world's coming to an end and alien invasions and all these different things and people are like, oh, we need a hero. <laughs> we can't fly and we can't shoot laser beams. But people are out there needing living water. And we have to approach them. We also have to guard our heart. And we have to listen. Because if all we're going to do is argue, we're not going to lead anybody to repentance. We're going to lead them to defense and offense. And so when I'm on social media and I see these things happening, my heart breaks for those people. And yes, I get angry and I get upset and I'm human, but I can't say, well, you know what, God? I bet this person at whatever, whatever, underscore, whatever is going to go to hell. Them and their reprobate mind. And that was actually referring to people in the church who weren't receiving correction. And so, yes, God is love. And yes, love does win. And whom he loves, he corrects. I want to leave you with that tonight. Now, we, uh, we wrote up a little prayer in the youth class, and I want to share it with you because it's very simple. But I feel like it encapsulates what we've talked about tonight. And it goes something like this. Lord... Forgive me of my sin. Give me the strength to forgive people who sin against me. That part sounds very familiar because it's in the Lord's Prayer. Holy Spirit, show me the difference between people who want to hurt me and people you want me to help. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simple prayer something that I encourage you to go over with your children throughout this week and throughout the rest of this month, obviously, as we're aware of what's going on around us in the nation and in the world. And I want to encourage you, the Facebook audience as well. See, everything that we do in these Bible studies and in Good News Church on the whole is to explore the Scriptures for sound doctrine, rightly dividing the word of truth. I strongly encourage you to go back a few months and look at our foundation series. Because it's so hard to build upon something that's not firmly on a foundation. You see, we mentioned earlier that Peter said, You know what, Christ? You're, you're the son of the living God. 
And Jesus said, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Not upon the Jewish traditions, not upon the Mosaic law. He's fulfilled the law. He says, upon this revelation, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is what we have built the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about a certain website or a certain building. I'm saying the body of Christ is built upon that. So we shouldn't be afraid of what we see in our culture and in our country. We should be empowered through the scriptures to go and reach hurting people, not to go and hurt people. That's what the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart. And that's what I'm sharing with you tonight. And I'd like to close in a brief prayer for those of you following along and for those of you here. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've brought to us in this time and in this season to prepare our hearts to minister to people. And God, we know what this means. We understand the Bible is not some strange mystery hidden from us. The Bible is Jesus Christ revealed to us. And we know that we're going to run into some difficult people over these next few weeks, God. Help us to be tender-hearted and also to listen to the Holy Spirit, God. Make us aware of situations to avoid places that you don't need us to be in in that point in time and help us to overcome our biases and our stubbornness and our own sin and to be prepared at all times to speak a word of wisdom, your wisdom, not our wisdom, into situations because we know that Jesus Christ is living water. He's the light of the world. Your words are spirit and they are life. Even in situations that seem dead, God, we pray for our relatives that we thought were beyond hope. We pray for this nation that seems like it's turned its back on you. We pray for the church that sometimes looks like it's been lulled to sleep. God, we would not dare assume your throne and pass judgment and say they're too far gone because you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And God, we pray that we would always be humble before you, always ready to go and speak to those that you would send us to speak. And even the places we can't go, God, we pray for missionaries to go out into the world, into the darkness. We pray for churches to rise up and be financers of the gospel, to spread the message over the airwaves and over the radio waves and all through the skies with whatever tools are financially necessary, God. And I thank you that we would keep a humble heart. We wouldn't argue with people, well, my pastor needs this and my church has that. But we would say, what does Jesus need to spread the gospel? Thank you for that wisdom. And give us the grace to show others that wisdom. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you all for joining us tonight on Facebook Live. We'd love to have you with us. We'd even love to see you in person. You can catch us Sundays meeting at the Port Lavaca YMCA for now, 10 a.m. And if you have your home church, be faithful. You can always catch us later. And for the latest news and updates, be sure to check our website, gncvictoria.com. Thank you all.